0: for heathens.
1: The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else.
0: I'm Shannon and I'm Brian.
1: I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who stopped reading one book about biblical women to start reading another one.
0: That's perfect. So did you stop in the middle of one read a different book and then pick up?
1: I read the introduction to one. The other one came in the mail. That one was shorter. So I just Read that one very quickly.
0: And then came back to the first one. Yes. That sounds about right.
1: Yeah. The the one that I finished was Women Rise Up. Um, the one that I am getting back to is Womanist Midrash.
0: Oh, yes. I remember when you got Womanist Midrash in the mail.
1: I'm super excited about that. But that that's
0: that a really d- dense read, right?
1: That one's a little denser, yeah. But good so far.
0: Good. I mean, I support you reading books about biblical women, because it means I'm going to learn more things about biblical women.
1: Yeah, and also, I just, womanist theology is something that I would like to learn more about.
0: Yeah, if you are a podcast listener, and you have a specialty in womanist theology, please send us an email, because we want you on the show.
1: Oh my god, I'd be so down. Like, I don't
0: know (laughs) if you are, like, secretly hiding from us, secret womanist theologians listening to our show, but make yourselves known. We would like to learn from you.
1: Yeah, it'd be great, and... Not the best thing for me as a white dude to explain on a podcast.
0: That's 100%. (laughs) All right, well, since we're not talking about womanist theology today, what are we talking about, Brian?
1: Today, we're going to talk about confession, the the sacrament of. Sure. um, Also known as reconciliation, sometimes penance.
0: Or sitting behind a screen talking to a priest.
1: Yeah, although we don't even get to that today. Are we two-partnering? We're two-partnering because there's a lot going on here.
0: Okay, so confession part one, not talking behind a screen to a priest.
1: Right, because the screen comes much later.
0: Okay, so are we going historically then? Well, first we're going to start
1: biblically. And just because I think this story is fun, I started earlier in the story than we needed to.
0: Okay. I mean, I love when you tell me a good story, so I don't care if you add a little extra.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we're a little late because we're going to start with the Easter story, but it's still a good time.
0: Okay. So the Easter story. Yeah. Is has Jesus risen yet or are we pre Jesus rising?
1: We are. Jesus is actively rising.
0: Oh, right in the middle. (laughs) We're starting mid scene.
1: Yeah. And this is from the gospel of John. Last one written, end of the first century, roughly, full of symbolism, high Christology.
0: And is these Easter story only in John,
1: or is it one of the ones that's in all four? So it's in three out of the four, definitely. The We've talked about the, the extra ending that got added to Mark.
0: Yes, we have.
1: So post-Jesus not being in the tomb anymore. Yeah. That is the little bit that was maybe added by a later editor to Mark. So, right. still, Empty Tomb, at the very least, is in all of them.
0: Yeah. Okay. But only because of that added ending.
1: Well, no. Empty Tomb is in all of them. Okay. Um, Mark originally ends with some guy, maybe an angel, being like, he's not here.
0: There we go. <laughs> Oops.
1: But this one, John, there's a lot, a lot going on afterwards. All right.
0: So, Jesus is rising. Yeah. Now, Paint the picture for me. When Jesus is rising, is he coming up out of the ground zombie style, or is he coming from the heavens even though he was buried? To what degree is zombie Jesus zombie?
1: He looks different.
0: Okay. But I guess he wasn't buried in the ground because he was put in a tomb in a cave, right? Correct. Does he just push the big rock slab away and sit up in bed and then walk out of this cave and be like, hi guys?
1: Maybe. We don't see it. We don't actually get the scene where he gets up.
0: Okay. We just see him come out of the cave.
1: No, he just kind of appears.
0: Okay. I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) Okay. So So, zombie Jesus arrives.
1: So Jesus has died, put in the tomb, three days have passed. Okay. That's where we are. Got it. Early that morning on the third day, Mary Magdalene shows up to mourn. But when she gets there, she sees that the stone that sealed the tomb has been removed from the entrance. And she runs to go get Simon Peter. Okay. And the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Unnamed. Unnamed. Uh, Do we
0: assume it's one of the twelve? Or it could be another one?
1: Tradition assumes it's John.
0: Okay. Because this is the Gospel of John? Is that why?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Okay. That's what it's been assumed to be. There are other theories. I like to believe it's John for a reason that we'll get to in a second.
0: Okay. But, so we go to get Peter and probably John.
1: Yeah. Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Cool. And she tells them that someone has stolen the body. She's freaking out.
0: Yeah. Grave robbing. Big problem. Yeah.
1: Not good. So the two men run back to the tomb, but the other disciple runs a little bit faster than Peter, and he gets there first. Okay. (laughs) So that's why I love the idea that this is John, (laughs) because we're assuming that in the Gospel of John, we had to include the fact that John is a little bit faster than Peter.
0: Okay. There's like a little (laughs) bit of one-upsmanship happening here. Yeah.
1: And it just delights me every time. (laughs) Good.
0: Good. All right. So... Peter, so John gets there first. Theoretical John.
1: Yeah, uh, John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, if you will, gets there first, but doesn't go in.
0: Okay. He just stands at the door.
1: Yeah, and then Peter gets there after and goes in. Okay. And the other disciple follows. And they see that the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head is rolled up in a little bundle. Okay. And all over the floor are the other burial cloths.
0: So, clearly something has happened here. Yeah,
1: so Jesus is not in those
0: cloths. Nope. (laughs) Which probably means that someone didn't steal the body, because if they stole the body, they'd probably bring the cloths with. You'd think. He might be a little smelly by this point. Okay. So they might have taken the cloths away, even if it was a regular grave robbing? I don't know. I don't know what... I'm trying to figure out how much the light cloths on the ground is a giveaway.
1: The face cloth being neatly rolled up and sitting on the slab where Jesus was is odd. Sure. It's notable. Cool. Great. (laughs) All the dudes are inside, looking around. Mary is outside, crying, because this is a lot. Yeah. Her friend just died, and now the body's gone, and what's going on?
0: She's had a couple of days.
1: Yeah. So, the men go home. Mm -hmm. They're like, we don't know. Something's going on. All we
0: know is there's nothing in the tomb. Yeah.
1: And so, Mary's hanging out. She peeks into the tomb, and sees two angels dressed in white and they ask her who she's looking for and she tells them somebody's taken jesus i think she is probably at this point flustered that no one is as concerned as she that
0: everyone is keeping very calm
1: <laughs> so then they they don't really answer and she turns around and she sees a guy who she doesn't recognize
0: okay now things are getting interesting
1: and he asked her who are you looking for and she responds, teacher. And she realizes who he is. Interesting. Um, and they have a lovely little moment.
0: Now there is like an implied thing between them, right? That's,
1: there's nothing textual to support that. Okay. Him.
0: But they do have a dramatic moment where they recognize each other across the room at this exact moment when he comes back from the dead. They're clearly. Have a close relationship. Yeah, they have a close relationship. Uh-huh.
1: Um, There are some people who will say, yes, it was a romantic relationship. Sure. I don't... There might be some apocrypha out there that that explicitly says that. I don't know. Okay. But I do know that people say that. Sure. That they're a couple. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying that this gets, like, way cuter if they were a couple.
1: It's weird that she calls him teacher, though, if they're a couple. I mean, sure.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'll give you that.
1: So... He tells her, Jesus tells her to go tell the others what has happened.
0: She's like, he's back. He's back.
1: Yeah. So flash forward a few hours and now we're at the story that I actually was intending to tell.
0: Okay. You just needed to talk about John and a moment where they recognize each other and zombie Jesus for a minute. Yeah. That's just all, all lovely.
1: Yes. That that part of the
0: story. (laughs) It's totally lovely. I agree.
1: So the disciples are all locked in a room, terrified because Jesus died. Who knows if the authorities are coming for them. Yes.
0: Oh right, because this is only three days afterwards, and like shit has gone down. Yes. So they've been in hiding for the past three days.
1: Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they're locked in a room, afraid that they are going to be persecuted. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. And someone comes to them and says.
1: And suddenly, in this locked room, Jesus appears.
0: Wait, he can walk through walls now that he's zombie Jesus.
1: I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he walked through a wall. If he just like appeared in a puff of smoke.
0: I have so many questions, Brian, to the degree of which magic zombie Jesus is.
1: Uh, I mean, he's literally (laughs) God.
0: You make a fair (laughs) point.
1: So, Jesus appears.
0: Great. Great. I'm going to choose puff of smoke for my own personal image of this, because it's way cooler.
1: (laughs) That was what I went with. That is probably not they're like huddled in, in a basement
0: it. and then poof, Jesus. Uh, they're huddled
1: in an upper room.
0: Oh, it has windows.
1: <laughs> maybe. The shades are probably drawn.
0: Uh, uh, well, of course, they're in high they anach- Anachronistic shades yeah. are drawn. Okay, so this <laughs> has gone from basement to like the diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay, maybe the wrong illusion. But the idea that they're like in an attic.
1: They're locked in this room. Okay. So Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. As the father sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. That's weird. Right, yeah, which is kind of weird, but... I mean, it's weirdly specific. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of imagery about breath. Uh, it's it's probably a... Well, one of the things that it can be related to is in one of the creation stories, God breathes light into Adam. Sure. So there's, there's a lot of breathing on things as giving the spirit okay. to them. That makes sense, then. So that's where where the breathing is. But also, this is not the weirdest thing that's happened today.
0: (laughs) You make... Yes, you're correct.
1: Even if they were like, why is he breathing on us? They're like, well, I guess he was dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, weirder things have happened.
1: I hope his breath wasn't
0: bad. It probably was. He's been dead for three days. Yeah, and
1: I can't imagine care was great back then.
0: No, I'm sure none of them had great breath, even before they were zombies.
1: (laughs) But anyway, breath. Maybe it's better. Maybe maybe the Holy Spirit smells better than regular though.
0: Ooh, we that's a it. good thought. It smells like cotton candy. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> so
0: He breathes on
1: them. He breathes on them. And then he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Ah, yes. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Great. So that's if people point to a Bible passage for sacrament of confession, that's what we get. There we go. There's also a lot in the Hebrew Bible about breaking. when you break the law, you can have your sins forgiven by having a priest offer a sacrifice for you. Uh, an example in Leviticus is, if anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priest, as a guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering that they have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. So, lots, there's lots of examples like that.
0: Yeah.
1: A priest helps you out.
0: Sure. If you sin, we've got priests. Yeah, and then we'll... Kill,
1: well, kill an animal on your behalf.
0: Yeah, back when we did that.
1: Right. And so, because because we don't do that anymore, um, one mm-hmm. of the reasons that we say we don't as Christians is that Jesus was the, the sacrifice. Mm-hmm.
0: Jesus, he died for your sins.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you, you can't really get a better sacrifice than God.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: So, we don't need the sacrifice anymore, and we also don't... Some say we don't need the priest anymore because Jesus is the one true priest. Uh, we talked about Jesus as the high priest in the, the Hebrews episode.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. I guess I never thought about the fact that you don't need the priest to do the the absolving if someone has already absolved you. And, or, like, maybe absolve is the wrong word. But, like, you don't need... Absolve some, is good. Yeah, but, like, if, there's, if the one true priest has sort of, like, blanket absolved everyone... Yeah, well, I mean, there's even
1: debates there about if you, so is there still a value to confession without the priest? Mm-hmm. Um, but.
0: If you just say to yourself, this was a sin, like, is that enough? Is that sort of the question?
1: Yeah, if you are truly contrite, mm-hmm. but that's further down the line in the theological debate.
0: <laughs> Fair. Um, We're not going to go that deep today.
1: We won't. We won't get there quite yet but right. So another thing is Paul says in the first letter to Timothy that there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. So that's another thing that people pull out and says earlier in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." for either side of the yes, we should do confession as it is practiced. The biblical background of it. Now let's do some history. So, very early church, the only way to have your sins forgiven was through baptism. Okay. This idea being that once you had your conversion experience, you became a Christian, you're all good because Jesus was coming back any day now.
0: Oh, yeah. This was the, like, we're baptizing you right away because at any moment the sky is going to fall. Right. And all you needed was the baptism. It wiped the slate clean and then everybody's happy. Yeah.
1: So, we're all good. And plus, if if you were... Converted, then there's no reason you would sin anymore, right?
0: Sure. Everyone's perfect after that. Exactly.
1: Not true. Not even true in the Bible.
0: No. (laughs) Isn't the whole point of the Bible a bunch of stories about people sinning and then realizing that they had sinned and then getting absolved?
1: Yeah. Uh, The Bible is full of a lot of flawed people.
0: Yeah. it makes it interesting. Oh, of course. It makes them not robots.
1: Right. So, almost from the very beginning... People began talking about forgiving sins. Okay. In 74 CE, Barnabas wrote in a letter, You shall confess your sins. You shall not go to prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of light. So, yes, we should confess sins. Great. But this is very general, and we don't really have a uh, codified way to do this. Mm-hmm.
0: This is a thing we should do. Let's figure out how that works.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... There's a lot of things where, right around the 2nd century, we should, they were like, we should have specific plans for everything. Yeah. Did we need to? I don't Apparently. know. Apparently. <laughs> so, it, it takes until early in the 3rd century. Tertullian, late 2nd century theologian, says, Some people flee from confession as being an exposure of themselves, or they put it off from day to day. I presume they are more mindful of modesty than of salvation like those who contract the disease in, a, in the more shameful parts of the body and shun making themselves known to the physicians, and thus they perish along with their own bashfulness. The church has the power of forgiving sins. This I acknowledge and adjudge.
0: Is he saying that you should tell more people about your sex life?
1: No, no I think he's saying go to the doctor if you have an STD. I mean, yes. Good advice. Thank but you, Julian. Didn't say,
0: <laughs> but he didn't say go to the doctor. He said the church.
1: Well, no, it's a, it's a metaphor. Go, it's a
0: bad metaphor. Go to the,
1: go to the doctor if you if you have an STD. Go to the church if you need to confess a sin about sex, is what he's saying.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, because he just basically said, like, instead of being shy about the facts that you sinned and had sex and now you have an STD, you should probably just confess about it. <laughs> no,
1: I think, I think it's a metaphor. I think there's both.
0: Sure. I want to believe that he's telling people to go to the doctor guess <laughs> going to the doctor is good.
1: It is. We we on this show support going to the doctor.
0: Yes. <laughs> Medicine is important.
1: <laughs> so this is this is the point where we formalize a way for people who had sinned and want a way back in. So, sure. Yeah. The church is the way to forgive these sins and third century now we're we're explaining How the church specifically does that. Cool. And it began to be standardized within communities, but it varied from community to community
0: a little bit. But we're starting to, like, make this a practice. Yeah. In the second century, we were realizing we needed a practice. And now, by the third century, we're figuring out what that practice kind of looks like.
1: Right. Because, yeah, we we had that period of time where we were like, oh, no, people are going to have to live their lives. Jesus is not coming as quickly as we thought.
0: (laughs) We're going to have to start forgiving people for stuff.
1: Yeah. Humans be humans. <laughs> Oops. I don't want my sister to burn in hell. We need to get her back in. This was such a big deal that it was like, okay, this is a one shot. You get ba- you can get baptized. Wipe the clean cl- it clean. And then if you really, really screw up, we can fix it for you again one more time.
0: But don't make a habit of this. Right. It's just like confession becomes an emergency situation here. Basically, yeah. Okay.
1: And so the way it would work is the penitents, the, the people who had sinned, would show up at the beginning of Lent. They would be barefoot, wearing sackcloth, their heads would be shaved, and they'd be covered in dirt. And they would approach the altar and the bishop and wail and beat their chests. And
0: This is so performative and I love it.
1: Oh yeah, it absolutely is. I'm in
0: it. I'm here for it.
1: <laughs> and then the whole community would chant long petitions to the saints, and the penitent would confess out loud in front of the whole community.
0: Oof. That hurts. Yeah. And you only get to do this once a year? Like, if you mess up, you gotta wait till Lent before you can shave your head and beat your chest and get for- and confess? You might...
1: You might, like, be walking around in sackcloth for longer than that if you sin, like...
0: Like, so you might do the, like... You might get in costume and then have to wander around for a while before you get fully yeah. forgiven?
1: Well, yeah, because you're... If you're doing this, you're probably kicked out of the community.
0: That's true, because we're only talking about huge major problems.
1: Yeah. Um, and at this time, the kind of the theological view is that sins were seen as deserving of divine retribution. Yeah. And the penance was these people applying the punishment to themselves.
0: Okay. So they're, they know what they've done, and now it's their responsibility, too.
1: Yeah. This was very much a, a focus on punishment for sure yeah so none of the penitents would be allowed to receive communion during this lenten time um but if their sin was apostasy they had to leave before communion with the the catechumens the people who were not part of the communion
0: oh you weren't even allowed in the church
1: right so you were allowed for the part where they were reading the bible huh. but then when we switch over to the eucharist you gotta get gone you, you, know, you can't even be in the presence of it
0: wow That's hardcore. Says you screwed up. I mean, I guess if you've renounced God, then... Yeah. Sure.
1: Uh, So then on Monday Thursday, the community as a whole would would get to decide if the penitents were welcome back in the community.
0: Oh, man, this is so judgy. (laughs) It's very judgy. It's a
1: lot. It's horrible, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I guess it's nice that they're, like, voting. (laughs) Sure.
0: (laughs) And not just, like one person is declaring on high whether or not you're allowed to stay
1: right and so this idea of confession and allowing people to get back into the community had support from the theologians at the time um specifically we have record of jerome and augustine supporting it okay jerome considered it a laborious baptism i just like that phrase. that's a great phrase and he also referred to well Augustine referred to penance as the second lifesaver after shipwreck, the first being baptism. Ah. Which
0: I like
1: I like they they're they're fun.
0: The shipwreck metaphor is a good one. It is.
1: Um other people like Caesarius of Arles considered the whole system a pastoral disaster.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> I want to start calling more things pastoral disasters. <laughs>
1: I mean, he he's probably not wrong in this
0: case. Sure. This is, like, very theatrical and very dramatic.
1: And, yeah, not... There's no nuance to it. It's, no.
0: <laughs> it's not great. Sure. Like, pastoral disaster.
1: <laughs> As we move forward, it becomes more explicit that priests are the ones who hold the power, and it's not the community that gets to decide whether the, uh, the penitent is allowed back in.
0: Sure. I feel like letting the whole community do it is just asking for pettiness.
1: Yeah, this whole thing feels very yeah petty.
0: <laughs> it really does.
1: But, I don't know. It, you're putting a lot of trust in in the, the priest at this point. It's though. true.
0: You do end up putting a lot of trust in priests. But I think, you know, if, you're, if you become the priest, you sort of ask to be put in a position of trust.
1: That's true. Deservedly. And or... people
0: have, like, come... There's sort of an implicit agreement that when you become a priest that, like... If you're going to let this priest be the priest of your church, then you have agreed to trust them? That's
1: more true now than it will be in in the future as we go through history.
0: Okay. <laughs> there, was, there was less, like, selective deciding who was the priest?
1: There was a lot more corruption later. Okay. So, but right now we're in the late 4th century. And we have John Chrysostom saying... Priests have received a power which God has given neither to angels nor to archangels. It was said to them, Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose shall be loosed. Temporal rulers have indeed the power of binding, but they can only bind the body. Priests, in contrast, can bind with a bond that pertains to the soul itself and transcends the very heavens. Did God not give them all the powers of heaven? Whose sins you shall forgive, he says, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. The Father has given all judgment to the Son, and now I see the Son placing all this power in the hands of men. They have raised to this dignity as if they were already gathered up to heaven.
0: That's a lot of power for priests.
1: Yeah. So we're we're definitely starting to give that power explicitly to the priests Yeah. To get out of the community.
0: This is hardcore. Yeah. All the power of heaven.
1: Yes. I don't,
0: I don't... Do priests have all the power of heaven now? No,
1: they don't.
0: <laughs> we took away some of that power at some point.
1: I don't know that I would ever agree that priests had all the power of heaven.
0: This guy thinks that they have all the power of heaven. I... I'm yeah. not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what this guy said.
1: It is what he says. And he is a pretty big male theologian at this time. Sure. But I, I would... I would want to talk have a talk to him about what he means by all the power in heaven.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when we we'll add that to the list of really bad uses for a time machine.
1: I like it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, talking to some of these these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile.
0: Man, I just wanna okay, I'm adding this is an aside on really bad uses for a time machine. Standing on the side of the road watching Paul get hit by lightning and see him falling off a horse.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: Just say it, it would be great. <laughs> I don't know that I want
1: to see someone get struck by lightning.
0: But it's such a pivotal moment. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. And he lives.
1: He does live. That's true.
0: Like it helps knowing the outcome. <laughs> Just saying. Alright. Sorry, I interrupted. Where were we?
1: <laughs> so we're in the we're in the late fourth century and we're talking about generally Rome area, um, that the main the main portion of the church. What they're doing, they they're doing these communal confessions. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if we go out further into the churches in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales...
0: Mm-hmm. Shout uh, out, Wales. Yeah.
1: Hey, hey, listeners in Wales. Uh, a different type of confession was developing because these communities were much more remote. Sure. Starting in the, the late 4th century, but we start to have more record of it by the 6th, the monasteries in these areas would do private confession. And this was the first time that that
0: happened. Ah, this is where we get one-on-one situations.
1: Yeah. Mon- monks and nuns would confess their sins directly to either the abbot or the abbess. And they would do this on a regular schedule, instead of just when they had committed some earth-shattering sin. And this was called auricular confession, because you confess into the ear of the confessor.
0: There we go. Yeah. And so this, we're going away from, like, only the major sins count. And so this is to more... Day-to-day stuff? Exactly.
1: This is the first time that people start confessing venial sins instead of just mortal sins. Okay. And the monks and nuns assign specific penances for specific sins. And this is called tariff penance. Okay. It's, you can just look it up from a list.
0: Ah. You're just like, cool, this counts as this, here's your sin.
1: Exactly. And this is the first time that there's variation, because before it was... You did the same penance no matter what you did.
0: Yeah, because you were only covering the big sins. Right. And now they're sort of probably like tiers and subcategories and things.
1: Yeah, and tariffs could be things like sleep deprivation, fasting, exile, or pilgrimages.
0: Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. You must go on a really long walk.
1: Yeah, Or, as we learned, they could have just walked around a labyrinth. True. (laughs) It's true. And so because we had all of these lists, we started correcting we started collecting them into books called penitential books. An important one of these penitential books was the penitential of Saint Columbinus. He was an Irish missionary who founded monastic communities in France, Switzerland, and Italy. And he wrote his penitential book in about 600 CE. Okay. And he believed that. Just as we must beware of mortal and fleshly sins before approaching the Eucharist, so we must refrain and cleanse ourselves from the interior vices and the sicknesses of the ailing soul before the covenant of true peace and the bond of eternal salvation. So, just like before, you couldn't receive the Eucharist if you had a major standout standing. Yeah. But also, now we're adding, you need to kind of take care of those lesser ones before you die.
0: You know, one things weighing on your conscience. So this is starting to feel a little more contemporary. Yeah,
1: this is definitely moving in the direction of what people are more familiar with. (laughs) Um, I have a couple of examples of tariff penance from his book. Oh, yeah. For just thinking about committing a major sin like fornication, you would only be allowed bread and water for six months.
0: For thinking about fornication? Yes. Okay, this has got less contemporary and more hardcore really fast.
1: (laughs) For... Thinking about a smaller sin like drunkenness. Bread and water for 40 days.
0: This is a lot of thought policing.
1: (laughs) For adultery that results in getting another man's wife pregnant, refrain from more appetizing foods and your own wife for three years.
0: I feel bad for the wife now.
1: (laughs) For fornication in the sodomite fashion. Seven years of penance. The first three, you can only have bread, water, salt, and dry produce. And for the last four, you only have to give up meat and wine. Okay. And (laughs) this one is really weird. This last
0: one. I'm ready.
1: Uh, If you're bathing and you uncover your knees or arms, other than when you are actively washing them, you can't bathe for the next six days as punishment for being immodest.
0: I don't have words for how strange that is. (laughs) Also, just your knees?
1: Yeah. Your sexy, sexy knees.
0: But, like, how do you do that? Like, what's the logistics of that? I
1: assume it's everything above the knees as well. Okay. Like, I don't think it's just, like, upper thigh, fine. Knees, how dare you?
0: See, that's my question.
1: (laughs) I don't think so. As
0: I say on the show all the time, I need more details, Brian.
1: (laughs) There are never more details, except in rare cases where there is too much detail. Yes. (laughs) This is true. So, speaking of too much detail, a lot of these penitential books focused so much on sexual sins.
0: Of course, because we're humans.
1: Yeah, in the Bogotian penitential written in the 8th century, there were a lot of very specific sins related to masturbation. Including, He whose sperm flows whilst he is sleeping in church shall be penance for three days.
0: That's oddly specific. Clearly, this was an issue they had. It seems to me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there were also sins related to the seven deadly sins, the Ten Commandments, Mosaic Law, the Liars of Paul. It was, they were pretty comprehensive.
0: Yeah, they gotta hit all the bases. But this is all still just happening in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales?
1: Yeah, mostly. And what's interesting about, uh, about this divide between public confession versus tariff penance is that tariff penance mirrors the way the legal system worked in ireland
0: ah that is brilliant
1: so in rome the legal system system was basically the the idea behind it was just a a crime demands a punishment yeah in celtic culture there was less of a focus on punishment and more of a focus on repaying a debt so there was a lot of categorizing in the legal system Crimes of different severities were different debts, and so you would pay different fines.
0: So they really liked their like tables and charts,
1: right? So that's how that's how we just culturally we get a different type of yeah. Uh, trying to seek forgiveness and repay
0: the yeah. debt makes sense. That's brilliant. I never even thought to connect it to the legal system. Yeah, it's
1: uh, one of the books that I was reading as research for this um, brought it up, and I thought that was very cool.
0: Yeah. I'm into it. The
1: system also went further in the the details, and it took into account who was committing the sin. So it was worse if a priest did it versus a layperson. Sure. Um, it took into account who who the sin was against. So it was worse to steal from the church than it was to steal from just a business. Okay. And it also took into account was the sin intentional.
0: Sure. And you see that in the legal system now?
1: Right. So this nuance, it made the system a lot more pastoral than the public penitent system. Yes. It was still pretty intense, uh, especially by today's standards.
0: Yes. (laughs) Punishments in the months.
1: Yes. Years.
0: Years.
1: (laughs) So, private confession spread out from these monasteries in Ireland, Scotland, Wales through missionaries over the next few centuries.
0: Cool. And they're like, here's an idea how about instead of having one big crazy theatrical thing, you had a private conversation, but then you had to spend six months eating lonely bread and water. And, and some people were like, I'd rather shave my head and beat my chest in front of everyone. And some people are like, I don't want everyone to know the weird things I think in bed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now you just have to let a priest know the weird things you think in bed.
0: Sure. Which I'm <laughs> sure is weird. I'm sure in the second half of this, we'll talk about how weird that is.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's, it stays weird.
0: I fully believe it.
1: <laughs> Into the modern day, it stays weird. Yes. <laughs> so, by the 11th century, this practice of private confession had moved outside of the monasteries, and it was pretty widely, uh, widely done. Peter Ablard, a famous French theologian and philosopher, wrote about some of the issues that was caused by this spreading out of private confession. He complained that priests did not understand the meaning of confession, so they were deceiving people and letting them off too easy.
0: I don't know. Some of those tariffs were pretty intense.
1: That's true. But I don't know. There might have been some who were just like, you know, contemplate a flower. Sure. Contemplate nature was actually penance given to a friend of
0: mine. Really? Yes. (laughs) Well, and this is all before the rosary, so we can't just be like, Pray a gazillion rosaries. That's true.
1: Pens. We are pre-rosary this point.
0: So, because at some point that's going to become a popular one. Yeah. Like, just talk to yourself for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. And then okay. do it again.
1: Yeah. Just keep doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I've learned also complained about bishops who allow people to pay money for sins instead of doing penance.
0: Well, yeah, that becomes a problem.
1: Yeah. That only
0: gets worse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> European history will tell you that. <laughs>
1: The next major development in history is the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215. Okay. This was a council called by Pope Innocent III, and one of the provisions that came out of this council was that Catholics must go to confession and receive communion once a year. Great. So,
0: Bare minimum, one confession, one communion. Right.
1: And so this was the first time where there was a A requirement that you had to, even if you didn't necessarily think you had to.
0: (laughs) It's a, like, to be in good standing, you must.
1: Exactly. And men and women would both start doing this around the age of 13. Okay. It's considered the age of discernment. And this was generally done right before Easter. as kind of a preparation for Easter. Sure. And if they did not follow this rule and go to confession once a year, they could be barred from entering the church in their lifetime and deprived of Christian burial at death. Ooh.
0: Better keep up on your stuff, then.
1: Yeah, at least once a year. I yeah. not bad. It is that hard. <laughs> uh, historians believe that part of the reason that Innocent asked for people to go to confession once a year was to root out Heretics. Heretics. <laughs> We've reached
0: everybody's heretic time in history.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of heretics at this this period of time. Yeah. (laughs) At this council, we also get masters of theology who were appointed in every diocese to help train better confessors. Because if we're making more people do confession more often, we need to have people who are better at hearing confessions.
0: That's smart. It's nice to make sure that the people who are hearing your confession have at least a little bit of training in what they're doing. Yeah, definitely a good thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is also when the seal of confession was established.
0: Ah, the what hap- whatever you tell me, I can't tell other people. Yeah. Which is a good way to motivate people to go to confession. Right.
1: The, uh, the official thing was, uh, let the priest absolutely beware that he does not by word or sign or by any manner, whatever, in any way, but betray the sinner. But if he should happen to need wiser counsel, let him cautiously seek the same without any mention of person. For whoever shall dare to reveal a sin disclosed to him in the tribunal of penance, we decree that he shall be not only disposed from the priestly office, but that he shall also be sent into the confinement of a monastery to do perpetual penance. Wow. No, pretty serious.
0: Yeah, not messing around. Yeah.
1: And also, at this time, we start to move away from the traditional tariff penance.
0: Okay. So what do we move into then?
1: So everybody has to go once a year. So penance becomes easier things. It's not years and years of fasting for whatever sin. It's This is where we get into Say some prayers or
0: pay a mass stipend. Okay. So there's still a little bit of money happening. Yeah, there is. But it's not like, give us a huge donation and all will be resolved. I mean, that is happening.
1: Sure. <laughs> that one is less supposed to be happening. Mass stipends are considered more okay.
0: Okay. But a lot, this becomes more like prayer and contemplation and think about what you've done real hard. Yeah. And less of yourself for the next 60 days and don't have sex with your wife. Right. Though, there there
1: certainly was still some of that.
0: Oh, well, of course, because there were still some larger sins, I'm sure, that demanded more fierce punishment. Exactly.
1: And I don't think they were doling out... They weren't doling out a penance per sin at this point anymore.
0: So it's sort of like a accumulation of all the things gives you what you're going to get. Right. So... That's so the tears basically become larger.
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: seems to be how it, how it works. So this is basically the point where we confession is more or less what it is in modern times. There's still some there's still some other developments that we're going to get to next time, and we're also going to talk about some Protestant reactions to confession. But that's this is where we're going to stop for today.
0: Awesome. Well, then, let's take a break, and when we're done, we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back.
1: And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they are the patron of.
0: I'm excited. What saint do we have this week?
1: This week, we have St. Adrian of Nechomedia.
0: I don't even know where that is.
1: It's in what is now Turkey.
0: Great. Good. <laughs> Hard parts out of the way. Yeah, great. Solve that one.
1: So Adrian was born in the late 3rd century in what is now Turkey. Okay. He was a pagan officer and a guard in the imperial, imperial court of Nicomedia. He married a Christian woman named Natalia. Okay. While working as a guard... He was so impressed by the courage and faith of a group of Christians being tortured that he pronounced himself a Christian on the spot, despite not being, having been baptized.
0: Oops. Are you allowed to do that?
1: I don't know. He did. Great. And he was immediately thrown in prison and tortured for this. Of course. Because he did this in the court where he was torturing Christians.
0: Wow. He's really a thinker, isn't
1: he? <laughs> That's what he's got his wife for. Sure. While he was in prison, his wife Natalia would come to help care for him and his fellow prisoners.
0: Now, is she a secret Christian then? Because she's not... Uh, She seems to be. Okay.
1: Or at least not a high-profile enough Christian that she has been imprisoned. Okay. But while they were in prison, she secretly instructed him and the other prisoners in Christianity.
0: Good for her. Yeah. I hope she's also a saint. Oh, she is. Good.
1: When Adrian was sentenced to death, He was no longer allowed visitors. So Natalia dressed as a boy and bribed her way in to see him.
0: Good, good, good.
1: (laughs) Finally, the day of his execution came and he was thrown to a lion, but it refused to touch him. So then his legs were broken with an anvil. Oof. And he was hacked to pieces with a sword. Oof. And then his body was set on fire. Sure, because why not? Natalia had to be restrained to keep to keep her from throwing herself into the fire after him. Okay. But suddenly a storm started and put the fire out. Ah. Natalia was able to recover one of Adrian's severed hands to keep as a relic. Just one. Just one. One hand.
0: I assume it's still in Turkey?
1: I believe it is, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's how these things work? <laughs> uh,
1: shortly after Adrian's death one of the other Imperial officers approached Natalia and asked for her hand in marriage. Ugh. I mean, she is really cool. <laughs> she is cool. But,
0: like, come on, dude. <laughs> no tact there. No tact at all.
1: <laughs> she, shockingly, was not interested. <laughs> and so she fled to Agrapolis, where she lived out the rest of her days in peace, and she died of natural causes. She is also a saint, but not the patron of anything. So she is not the subject, because otherwise she is more interesting.
0: That is true, but I'm glad we still get to talk. to (laughs)
1: Yeah, and she's more interesting than her idiot husband.
0: Than her idiot husband.
1: (laughs) So, what is Adrian the patron
0: of? All right, I'm gonna go make a bold guess here. Okay. I don't usually ever guess that people are patrons against things because I like don't think about it in the moment. Uh huh. But is Adrian the patron saint against torture? He's not. Damn. really close. Does it have to do with lions? No. And is there a patron saint of having a really cool wife? There should be. Yeah. He he gets it if if, if there is. Okay, I have no idea then.
1: He is the patron against epilepsy, against plague, for arms dealers... Interesting. For butchers, for epileptics, for prison guards, and soldiers.
0: Prison guards is probably the give right?
1: Yeah. The <laughs> the arms dealers uh, is, I think, because of the anvil.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's weird, but all right.
1: <laughs> um, and I, I don't know about the plagger epilepsy. I'm sure he... Is yeah. the cause of a cure? Sure, of those things.
0: I believe in his magic hand. Yeah, that's why the hands were round
1: Yeah, and after it cured the epileptic, one of the fingers curled.
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh. Magic.
1: That's that's actually That was a monkey call.
0: I know. Okay, I got it. That's why I said, ooh, magic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just uh, didn't want to
0: make sure that I, I want to make sure I got the reference right.
1: I also didn't want to confuse anyone listening, be like, oh man.
0: Yeah. No, no, not not actually how that works. No. like we said we are pro medicine on this podcast
1: (laughs) yeah please go to the doctor if you need the doctor
0: yep (laughs) and if you're not sure you need the doctor you should also go to the doctor (laughs) i agree (laughs) well thank you all so much for listening this week if you're enjoying the show go on itunes rate us review us send us an email let us know what you think of the show tweet at us at school number four heathens like us on facebook you can either search the name of the show or go to facebook.com slash school number four heathens All of our music is by Adam Griffin. You can check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And our logo is by David Griffin, who did not edit this episode because he's in Australia right now. So have a good vacation, David. And I think that's it. Amen?
1: Amen. Go and please like and share the pie.